Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. As I share with you on Easter Day, I'm so excited. What an opportunity to talk about the most powerful thing that I think happened in human history when a man rose from the dead and he promised he would. And uh, it's just an honor to get into it today and, and share with you a quick thought. I want to spend some time actually going into some details about the resurrection that maybe you've never recognized before. And the reason I say that is because I did some study and I, I stumbled upon this detail that really impacted me as I began to consider and pray about the story of the resurrection of Jesus. I read him in all four gospel accounts. And, you know, you can only really preach the message of the resurrection. I've preached, you know, the message of Easter uh, lots of times. And you want to make sure you have God's word and not your word. And so I spent time just considering, man, God, what do you want to say uh, to the people here? I love City Church this morning. Before we continue, we do have a Version app. If you want to go onto your Version app, our notes are all available for you there. You just go ahead and log in, search for Love City Church, click on, uh, uh, and you can actually add your, uh, these notes to your profile, save them for later if you want to come back and look at them. But all your notes are available on your phone for you if you'd, if you'd like. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is that, the, that we're going to talk a little bit about the idea that uh, the, the, the thought, just as he said, Jesus made some declarations early on in his ministry, and the people around them did not believe that it would be a reality. This is much like many of us today. We have a hard time maybe accepting in our life that sometimes we don't quite see the promises of God or the details of our lives or the current place we are. You might be experiencing a difficult circumstance, and you can't quite see to the promise to the point when Jesus will rise again. It's very easy for us just to see the death sentence or see the difficulty or to see the challenge. And I want to encourage you today that whatever dreams and whatever words, whatever thoughts, whatever things. God's put on your life and in your heart. He wants to fulfill the word of God on your life. He wants your marriage to be blessed. He wants your life to be blessed. God wants to bless you. He wants the purposes of God for your life to be fulfilled. That is the desire of God for your life. He will do just as he said he would do in your life. Great promises from God. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to jump into the word we're going to read two different accounts here, and uh, we're just going to kind of create context based on the reading of Scripture. So Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12, and it says this, but very early in the, on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus, and they stood there puzzled, and two, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, and so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and then he went home again and wondered what 
had happened. The word wonder there just perplexed, confused. He walked away feeling like, I saw it, I get it, but I don't quite come to the place where I fully believe it. Let's read another account, John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she uh, ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John beat Peter there. I, I'm just turned 36. I'd like to believe that I'm John in this story, that I can still outbeat the older folks. So there you go. Uh, so he was sitting there, and he ran all the way to the tomb. In verse 5, it says, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter finally arrived, the old guy, and he went inside, and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple, who, uh, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that had said Jesus must rise from the dead, and then they went home. When I was a kid, I grew up, my dad was, uh, worked for a company where he was, oversaw the entire uh, technology department of a large company. And uh, he would go to these tech conferences all across the world, and a lot of times he would go to Las Vegas, and he would go to these Las Vegas tech companies, and a lot of these companies would have really cool things, and he would always bring me home every single time a magic trick. He brought home these magic tricks, not a spiritual magic trick, not a dark magic trick, a trick that like had it fixed. It was rigged, like had a glass and you could jam a pencil through the glass and it had a little mechanism you could move the glass. So everyone who watched it thought it was amazing. Or he would bring me home ice cubes with dead flies in them and I would put them in people's drinks. And, or he would give me this one and I brought it here today and I hope this doesn't offend anybody. Remember, this isn't magic. This is all fake, by the way. And so he, he brought me this one and I, I, I want to show it to you because he, he, look at the these, these cards here are all just a deck of cards, right? Just a deck of cards. And, and I say, okay, I'm going to slap this card twice. And guess what? I'm going to make all the cards jacks. Look at this. All jacks. Look at that. So I grew up doing this, and I have actually boxes downstairs in my storage room with all these magic tricks. Don't make fun of me, but I do, and I go down there sometimes when no one's looking, and I blow my own mind. Um, but I grew up, and my kids were kind of uh, in the age where I begin to think, okay, they think I'm pretty cool still, so I'm going to start doing some, some, some magic for them. I say, hey, kids, you ever seen a magic trick? And so I started showing this stuff. Watch this. You know, yeah, I'm doing this. And I got other ones. I got, you can take five nickels and make it dimes. I got another one where I can make a handkerchief completely disappear. Appear. And I was going to do it this morning, but I was worried I couldn't remember it, and then I would fumble, and it would, like, the, the answer to the trick would fall on the ground, and I'd be all embarrassed. So I chose this one because it's easy. And so I went to my daughter, and my, my daughter asked me, Dad, will you do the, your magic tricks for my friends at my birthday? I said, well, I will. Sure, I will. And I brought a little, a little top hat, and I didn't have any of that stuff. No, I just came in normal me, and I said, okay, guys, watch this. And I did all these stuff, and I, you know, did this whole thing. And they're like, wow, my gosh, this is incredible. They were blown away by the fact that their dad was a magician. They were pretty amazed by my tricks. I did this several other times, and there's always a rule when it comes to being a magician. You don't tell your trick. You don't tell how it happens. And so my son had a birthday party, and he said, Dad, will you do magic tricks for me? And my daughter happened to be there. She'd seen this trick a thousand times. Finally, she came to me, and she grabbed the deck out of my hand. And she said, let me see that deck. I said, oh, I'm not going to let you see this deck. She says, let me see the deck. I said, I'm not going to let you see the deck. No magician tells his tricks. 
She grabs a deck out of my hand, and she looks at it, and she realizes that every other card is a jack. And these cards are a little bit smaller than the other cards. So they fit perfectly on the inside, and her whole world came crashing down. My dad is a fraud. <laughs> Years of magic tricks, the coin trick, the handkerchief trick. Years of putting pencils through glass. You're just a fraud. She was so disappointed in me. I was honestly a little sad. I was like, well, Brea, that's not the deck I had when I did those tricks. Someone must have snuck that into my hand. She was so let down at the fact that every other card was a jack that she just assumed that everything else that I did and said when it came to magic was fake. She just assumed she was so let down that she thought her dad was this magician, this man, he's like got magic in his fingertips. Like, oh my goodness, this is absolutely incredible. My dad is amazing to come and find out that he's just somebody who did tricks. They weren't real. I imagine that this may have been a very small sentiment of how the disciples felt. After Jesus had been talking about all of these different, different things, and now they were left in a place where they had this Jesus that they had been following, they'd seen a lot of magic tricks, people being healed and risen from the dead, and people being restored, and uh, helping individuals, seeing their future, and seeing details about their life that nobody else could know. I mean, all these incredible, incredible things. And then Jesus gets brutally murdered on a cross, and he's now lying dead in a tomb. He just had a bunch of jacks between every card. Like, it's not what we thought it was. They came to a place where even though they heard the tomb was empty, they still, these are the closest followers of Jesus Christ. You hear today, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. No, these guys walked with Jesus himself. And they were so disillusioned, and they had so much disbelief that when Mary came in the room and said, hey, listen, the tomb is empty, they did not even believe it. Yeah, right, we've been there, we've done that. I don't think so. It's interesting, if you look back at the story of Jesus and you look at their journey, Peter was called early in Jesus' ministry, and Peter and these disciples followed Jesus for about two and a half years, and Jesus hadn't even talked about his death once. They're just following after him. They're being blown away by all the tricks he's doing. They're beginning to believe that he's something special. Something's beginning to change. And the story culminates to about six months before Jesus was crucified. They were together, and Jesus was walking. He didn't normally talk like this, uh, but he began to talk in a certain way that confused him. And Ryan, you're going to have to help me out, my friend. And so we're in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to just read a few verses here this morning, and I'll let you know when to go forward, okay, Ryan? It says, when Jesus came to the region of Sisera Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still is Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Okay, guys, you've been with me for two and a half years now. You're hanging out at the water cooler. You're hanging out around work. People are hanging out. What are people saying about me? Let's just hear it. Come on, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. What are people thinking I am? Well, people think you're probably a prophet. You know, you're like Jeremiah. You're kind of like, you're kind of like uh, Elijah. You're doing all these really cool things. I mean, yeah, so people are kind of getting it. People are kind of flowing with you. Okay, he says, all right. Now, you've been following me for two and a half years. Who do you think I am? And it says in the next verse, he says, when Jesus came, uh, but what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. 
And so this is a moment in their journey where they hadn't had a lot of conversation about who Jesus was. They hadn't had a lot of conversation about his identity, about his plans, about the next stages of the journey. Really, all these men had done is they followed Jesus, embraced his teachings, watched him heal people, watched him redeem people, and they were blown away. And Jesus would only talk in parables in such a way where the disciples were frustrated because Jesus would tell a story and the disciples would get together and be like, hey, John, do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about all these parables. I don't understand it. Jesus, just speak in plain English. I don't understand what you're saying. He would talk in such a cryptic way at times that they didn't fully understand what was going on. But at this moment, Jesus asked them, who do you finally think I am? And Peter raises his hand in the back and says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You are the prophesied one of generations to come. You are the restoration of the fulfillment, the the prophetic fulfillment of the words that have come for hundreds and thousands of years to this very moment. You are the Messiah. And when he made that statement, the implications of being the Messiah and the son of the living God were enormous. That would mean that Peter is declaring that back in Genesis chapter 1-3, when God said, let there be light, there was light. He's now now saying, I actually believe that this God here is the God standing with me right now. The God who was in the beginning, before there was time, before there was an earth, before there was a universe, before there was anything in existence, God spoke and light came forth. He spoke his word and it accomplished what it went out to do. The, The world was created. We believe that that is the Jesus I'm standing with right here. That would also mean they believe that in John 3, 16, John writes about how the fact that, that, that God came and this is the judgment. This is the verdict in John chapter 3, 16. It says, this is the verdict that light, God sent his light into the world. God sent his light. That would mean they believe that the very light, the very Messiah, the very sent one of God was the one that they're standing with right now. That would mean that they believe that when Jesus speaks, it is God's word. They would believe that when Jesus speaks, it is life. When Jesus speaks, it is truth. When Jesus speaks, he's speaking the very words of God. And Jesus begins to speak these things to Peter. In the next slide here, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being, but now I say this to you. I'm going to change you. You're no longer going to be Simon, which means a swaying reed. You're actually going to be Peter, which you are a rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Look at that. And all the powers of hell will conquer it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Here's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Here's the keys of the kingdom. I've got promises for you. I've got a plan for your life. I've got a plan for your marriage. I've got a plan for your future. I've got plans for you. I've got great things I want to do in your life. I've got prophetic thoughts for your future. I want to see your marriage fulfilled, and I want to see your finances blessed, and I, I want to see your dreams uh, according to the will of God fulfilled. I want to do these things in your life, Peter, because you had an understanding that I am God. When you accept the fact that Jesus is God, you're also accepting the fact that God has a tremendous promise for your life, and he will do just as he said he would do. Peter had a moment where he was like, yes, God just gave me the keys to the kingdom. 
God just handed me the, the, the set of keys that would unlock the doors to supernatural realms and unlock doors in the natural realm. Like, I was just given a key to the kingdom by God himself. Things are incredible. Things are amazing. This is absolutely mind-boggling. He's promising that he's going to build the church on me. Things are going to be incredible. Things are going to be amazing. I cannot wait to get started on my journey as God's rock. Things are awesome. And then things began to take a weird turn. This moment, he'd never talked about his death. This was the first time Jesus talked about his death. This was the first time Jesus took ownership of who he was. And then Jesus started making these kind of interesting statements. He says in the next verse, in Matthew 16, 20, he says, well, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone. So you just found out that you're going to be a rock. You just found out that you got the keys of the kingdom. You just found out that you're walking with God himself. And I just want you to keep it quiet. Now, that's a little weird, but I can honor that. Okay, whatever. You want me to not tell anybody? A little odd. I mean, I'd like to tell everybody, but okay, whatever. And then he comes to the next verse in Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and on the third day raised to life, things began to take a weird turn. First time Jesus talked about himself being killed, Peter just came off of a high with God, hearing about all these promises, and now the very guy who's going to give him all these promises is going to die. Peter's, okay, so like, I'm, I wonder if maybe they're beginning to wonder if Jesus is kind of like a conspiracy theorist, like the government's against him. You know, hey guys, I want you to know the government's against me. There's a pastor's in the city who are going to like accuse me of wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. They're going to arrest me and they're actually going to kill me. I mean, my buddy Mike's here today. My, my brother, been here for 30, friends of the guy for 30 years. And, you know, I know him in and out very well. And if he started talking about, hey buddy, I'm following him, I'm serving him. He's a man of God. And he starts saying, hey bro, I want you to know the politicians in this city and the pastors in this city, they are going to accuse me of something I didn't do and they're going to murder me. I think you're a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. Maybe you thought the earth was flat. Maybe you thought Elvis was still alive. Maybe you thought we didn't land on the moon. Whatever, I don't know. I just feel like this was a little bit of a weird turn. I mean, imagine for a moment what they must have felt like, realizing at this moment that this guy is starting to talk about him being murdered on a cross. How ludicrous. I mean, how crazy. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. In fact, this is, this is so awkward that you're talking about this. It doesn't even make sense to us, Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're God. Why are you talking like this? It's not going to happen to you. And actually, it's really interesting because Peter actually thought it would be a good idea for him to correct Jesus. In Matthew 16, 22, it says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That word rebuke is chide. It means to correct. It actually means that you're actually accusing someone of wrong. Think about it for a minute. He just finished saying that we believe you're God. And now he's saying, God, you're wrong. I believe you're God. I believe you created everything. I believe you've got it all figured out. But I want you to know what you just said does not work in my plan. It's not what I want to happen because I have promises to be fulfilled. I've got things to work out. I'm going to be the rock. You give me the keys. Remember the whole thing just 10 seconds ago? And now you're talking about death. And I don't think so. This does not work out how I want it to work out. He rebuked God. And as I read this, I felt a conviction in my own spirit. Say, Ryan, you sometimes do this to me. 
And sometimes in your life, you're facing something in your life. You're facing a, a marriage struggle. You're facing, uh, you thought my life was going to end up like this. I thought I was going to be able to have children. I thought my marriage was going to look like this. I thought my financial situation, I didn't know my body was going to be racked with this type of physical pain. I didn't know that my, uh, my relationships were going to end up like that. And I begin to say, God, this is not okay that life is taking this path. I don't like the fact that what I'm seeing is death when I thought there would be life. All I hear in this situation is death. And what they were seeing here, the really important detail that we miss in this story is that Jesus said, I will be killed and I will rise again. They didn't even hear that point. They didn't even hear the detail that it's okay. You're going to experience some difficulty in your life, but I have a promise for you. I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to restore the marriage. I'm going to bring blessings in your life. I'm going to do these things. We miss out on the life because we're often so focused on the death. And a lot of us spend our lives focusing our world on the death sentence, and we forget that God has a life sentence for us, a life alive sentence for our lives. And Peter here is missing that reality, and we often see our world through the sinful nature. We see our world through the fallen nature. We see our world through the fact that, man, I wanted kids and it didn't work out. I, I see my world through my broken relationships. I see my world through my broken finances. I see my world through the pastor that hurt me or the church that hurt me. I see my world through pain and bitterness and resentment. And we see our world through death. When God said, I will do something in your life. I have great promises for your life. I want to do something amazing in your life. We say, that's awesome. I can't get past this death sentence. Many of us spend our world, our lives, living in the buried tomb of Jesus when there is a promise of something greater for our lives. We don't even focus on that. We can't bring ourselves to even accept that because we're so overwhelmed by the deep disillusionment of the life that we live, thinking, God, I thought it was going to look so different than it does now. And we say, God, why? And God wants you to know that he will do just as he said in your life. That the promises of God in your life are yes and amen. John chapter 20, verses 2 to 3, on the next slide here. It says in the verse, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples and the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. So Peter's sitting there surrounded by disbelief. No one believed him. And he hears this detail. The empty tomb's empty. The tomb is empty. Peter jumps up and runs as fast as he can. Now, you've got to remember something about Peter's current situation. When he's sitting around the table, sharing a meal, having some bread, having a glass of wine, hanging out with his comrades, he's, they're all feeling disillusioned. They're all feeling afraid. Peter had just come off of, of something really, really incredible. In John chapter 13, we see it. In verse 36, it says, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? He says, okay, Jesus, where are you going? He says, you can't go with me now, Jesus says, but you will with me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. You're going to deny that I even existed. Just a few chapters prior, you were saying that I'm God. Just a few chapters prior, you were accepting the fact that I have all these promises for you. And now you're in a place where you're going to completely reject the idea that you even think I exist. 
And so here, Peter, he denied him three times. He wept bitterly. The, 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 when Jesus went into the tomb, and now he's sitting around having a meal, sitting around thinking about the sin and the shame and the guilt and the fear, and all these guys are disillusioned, and there's lack of belief, and they don't know what's going on in their life, and they're all feeling uh, out of sorts, and they're feeling lost and disconnected. And Peter's sitting there thinking about his sin, thinking about the fact that he rejected God, thinking about the tremendous guilt that's on his life, the shame. He feels so overwhelmed. And Mary walks in the room and says, the tomb is empty. Someone stole his body. And Peter jumps up and thinks, I don't even know what's going on, but I got to see this for myself. And he runs down to the tomb and he gets there. And it says in the scripture that in verse four, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But John did not go in. Now, John is writing this letter. John is writing this book. John was there. Luke wasn't there. Matthew wasn't there. None of these guys were there. John was there watching this whole thing happen. He's writing it down in his journal as it's happening, thinking, oh my gosh, I got to document this. And he says he walked up he stooped his head in and saw that there was an empty tomb and he stood back and he waited for Peter. And it says in the scripture that Peter, uh, uh, the Simon Peter arrived and went inside. And he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings. John walks up and sees it. John walks in the tomb and sees the tomb. He sees the empty tomb. He sees the linen wrappings, and he steps back. Peter steps in and sees the empty tomb, sees the linen wrappings. And it says in Luke chapter 24, he says that he went home again. Peter literally walked out of the tomb and perplexed and confused, walking home, not knowing what was going on with disbelief in his heart. And then it says in the scripture in the next verse, that John, who was still there outside the tomb, after Peter had walked out in disillusionment, the disciple who had reached the tomb first, which is John, also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said he must rise, uh, that he must suffer and rise from the dead. So hear me here. John looks in. He sees the whole picture. Peter walks in. He looks at the tomb. He looks at the linen cloth. He looks around the room. He turns around and he walks out in confusion. John walks in the room, sees the same tomb, sees the same linen, and he sees it and he believes it. Same tomb. Same scenario. One man walked in because he saw the death sentence. And one man walked in and saw the life sentence. One man had a perspective in his life that Jesus is going to do what he said he could do. And another man walked in and was discouraged, so disillusioned and discouraged by his life that he couldn't see this one tiny, small little detail that I believe Jesus left just for Peter. It's in John. John chapter 20, verse 4 to 7. Look at this in the scripture. Go to the next slide, please. Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Think about this for just one minute. If somebody had stolen the body of Jesus, they would have left the whole thing disheveled and confused. And it would have looked like a, a madhouse. But Jesus actually took the time when he rose from the dead to take the cloth off of his head And he folded it up and he says, I'm going to put this here just for a moment so that when Peter comes in, he will see that I will do just as I said. 
and he left this folded towel there. And when John walked in, he saw that towel and thought to himself, Jesus rose from the dead. But Peter was so thinking about the death sentence, he couldn't even see the little tiny detail that Jesus had left for him. Now, there's a lot of different commentators and theologians that believe that the story about the folded cloth, there's no real evidence of why this happened. But there was a rumor going around, and I'm going to share this rumor with you just to help you understand maybe a thought that this could be, that in those days, who, who Hebraic uh, teachings taught that when a servant would make the table for his master, he'd make the table of food and, and make everything ready. The, he would step back and the master would come in and begin to eat his meal. And as he was eating his meal, the servant would stand back and he would watch at a distance. He'd look and uh, make sure his master was doing a good job and he was enjoying his meal and that things were going good. And when the master was finished, he would crumble up his napkin and he would throw it on the plate. And it was a sign to the servant that he could now enter the scene and clean up the, 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 the table. But if the master took that towel and he folded it nicely and he laid it on the table, it was a sign to his servant that I am not finished yet. See, you have to know something about your life. Many of us are living our lives right now, living with a death sentence, and you need to know that Jesus is leading wrapped, folded towels in your life, saying, listen, I'm not finished yet with your life. I'm not done with the situation that you're in. The marriage that's in struggling. Listen, I'm leaving a folded towel in the tomb, the dead tomb of your life, saying, listen, look at the folded cloth. I will do just as I said. You look at your finances, and you look at your physical body, and you look at your life, and you're disillusioned, and you're bitter, and you're angry, and you're frustrated, and you say, my goodness, I can't go on any longer. The word of the Lord for you today is he wants to give you this nice folded cloth to say, he's got all the details figured out for you. He's got your healing figured out. He's got your marriage figured out. He's got your finances figured out. He wants to give this to you today. When you look at the empty tomb of your life and you see a death sentence, he wants to remind you that he said not only would he die, but he would rise again. We'll read one last scripture here and the band can come up and we're going to worship this morning. My very last scripture is in Luke chapter 24. The men asked, why are you looking again among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you. Back in Galilee, the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered that he had said this. Remember what he told you. What has God told you for your life? What's been the promise for you or the desire for you or the dream for you? Or how about the, the situation that you faced in your life that fell apart? The relationships that fell apart, the family that fell apart, the finances that fell apart. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's sin. Maybe, maybe you failed in your marriage. Maybe there's something going on in your life today. And you say, Ryan, I, I look at my life and I see death. I look at my life and I'm disillusioned. I look at my life and I thought my life would look like this. I was going to serve that pastor. I was going to serve that church. I was going to give my life to this woman and this happened or, or my finances and this happened. I want you to know today that Jesus comes to say, remember what I told you for your life. I want to bless you. I want to give you eternal life. I want to give you joy. I want to give you 
peace. I want to bless you financially. I want to bless you spiritually. I want to bless you emotionally. I want to bless your marriage. I want to bless your finances. I want to bless your heart. I want to bless your mind. I want to give you peace. I want to give you joy. I want to bless your life. I want to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. But you got to stop focusing on the death sentence. you got to stop looking at these things in your life and thinking, oh, it's over. I can't go any farther. God has a word for your life today. He will rise again. He will conquer this physical sickness. He will bring restoration to your marriage. He will rise again. With a declaration, a prophetic thought of death over your life, I come today to reverse that thought over your heart and mind today. I speak to your heart, and I speak to your life. If you're sitting in the room today feeling like, man, I got nothing but death. I got nothing but fear. I got nothing but discouragement, nothing but depression. I speak life and the word of Jesus Christ into your heart today, that Jesus died, and he rose again. He did just as he said, and he will do the same thing in your life too. And it comes simply by one confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. When you confess that you admit that the Jesus who died on the cross was sent by God, he lived 100% human life, 100% divine, a perfect sinless life, died a brutal death, was buried for three days, and on the third day, life entered his mortal body. And the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. All you have to do is say, okay, I believe. Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe. And he says, okay, I want to give you the keys to the kingdom. I want to give you the keys to peace in your life. I want to give you the keys to joy in your life. I want to give you the keys to the things that you've been praying for and you've been asking for. I want to give those things to you. I want to turn your death sentence into a life sentence. I want to turn your sadness into joy. I want to turn your depression into life. I want to turn the whole thing around. And it comes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray. And then we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we just come before you right now. Lord, I pray for every death sentence in this place, every empty tomb, Lord, every tomb in this place full of disillusionment and pain and fear. We come today to say, Lord, you want to turn it around. You want to transform hearts and minds. You want to make a life that's new, oh God. We just pray, Lord, as we worship you today, as we exalt your name today, oh God, we pray that your name would be magnified in this place. Come on, let's worship together this morning, guys. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.